okay. We haven't... I mean, you'll just hear this on the next episode, so... What's up? Love you. Love you. Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. I'm Heath Walton, Associate Pastor at First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. Why is the AC so loud? I don't know, but why do we point out things that are loud every time? More importantly, what are we talking about today? Um, What does the FC stand for? (laughs) Fat Churchman. Um, What? That's just because you just ate ice cream. Just ate ice cream. So we we went out to lunch for staff meeting today, which we rarely ever do. I've only done it once, other than today. And after we went out to eat, we said, "Well, we still got staff stuff to talk about, so why don't we go get ice cream?" Yeah. Now we're recording a podcast. Yep. What are we talking about? I guess that other distinctive that you were. So the next uh, Baptist distinctive is saved baptized church membership or saved Baptist okay. church members. There's no FC to fit that, huh? No. You know, I was going to call this Feeding Christians. Yeah, but that's when you wanted me to yell about preaching But here's the thing. Because we talked about ice cream, I think I'm just going to keep it the same. Feeding Christians. We, okay. we ate. So. What? What? FC. Feeding Christians. Feeding church staff? That'll work. All right. Moving on. I don't know. I think we've... Whatever. Um, <laughs> is church membership a biblical concept? Yes. Where? How? Why? Um, you You have people that are in a local church, and, for example, the Bereans are in a local church, they are asked to do what? To listen to the preaching. Well, they not asked to, but they were listening to the preaching, and they reasoned together that what Paul was preaching was true. Um, these were people that fellowshiped together. You see it in Acts, of course, with the fellowship, but in, in that specific instance, you see uh, sort of congregational polity in action, where they are holding the one that God has appointed to be the, the whatever Paul was, <laughs> his role, uh, God has appointed him to do that, and they are making sure that what he is preaching is the truth. And so you do see that. Um, you see a lot uh, of pronouns without antecedents. <laughs> this, that, <laughs> you're, those. You're going to have they. to. Uh, you're going to have to define those words. Um <laughs> But then also in, in Acts, when they select the deacons, the first servants of the church, you, you have see this selected, from men from, selected men from among you, right? So they are a local church. Um, in Acts chapter, all right, you have Pentecost. Is it three? It's two where all those who believed and were baptized were added yes, to the number. added to the number, uh, which is God adding to their number. And then you also have them in fellowship with one another, Um you also have in Hebrews that you are not to forsake the, the assembling of, of yourselves, yourselves uh, which would mean that as a collective, you actually have to assemble. You've also got uh, Peter's words, of course, to pastors, shepherd the flock entrusted to you. Yes. So you have so to know a specific who, flock. who's your flock. Um, and then <laughs> is, that our, is that our new evangelism campaign? Who's your who's flock? your flock? <laughs> uh, make shirts. We got shirts coming. Here we go. Because one will never be enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, what's a badiddle? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about with that. You know the song, these hands could, ho- could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. But it will. Oh, makes more sense. <laughs> Why did, okay. Okay, so. Why in the world did you just suddenly 
seeing great or quote greatest showman because I said that one isn't enough because you, you want a flock. Who's your flock? Because who's your oh, one? Is never enough. enough? Never enough. Oh, ironically, you're also talking about a movie about P.T. Barnum, who was a pragmatist, which is a lot of what a lot of churches are doing to get oh, church members in. I had a solid introduction for today if we were going to talk about pragmatism, but you just wanted to hear me talk, yell about preaching, and then you changed your mind again, so now we're talking about save baptized church membership. So we'll save the episode on... We'll, we'll save my pragmatist uh, intro for the pragmatism episode. Well, we'll do that next, because these can tie together as usual. Um, All right, so anyway, yeah. um, the other places you've got it, of course, are where um, first Jesus and then Paul. <laughs> I thought entrusts, you were naming a book in, called First Jesus. <laughs> entrusts. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys, we had ice cream. Uh, okay, so it, Jesus does Entrusts what? the church with the final step of church discipline. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if there's still no is repentance, take it, take him before the church, and the church is then entrusted to do this. And then, of course, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the church is to treat this one like a non-believer if they're still unrepentant. So, do you think that Jesus's statement to Peter about "On this rock I will build my church"? I don't think that's about local churches. You would make I think that more universal. universal. Okay. Um, but then I think when he's talking about entrusting this responsibility to the church he's talking local churches which then becomes more clear when you put that together with yes with corinthians but then distinguishing between the two the vast majority of times that that word ecclesia is used in the new testament is speaking of a local body of believers right in which case so the the reason i wanted to start with that question is because you you do often get the question and i think it's a fair question is church membership even a biblical concept and I think that there, while the phrase and the word and that title isn't used, the idea of, even to use the terminology of Acts 2, there are some in the number mm-hmm. and some not in that number. In order for these new believers to have been added to the number, that means that there were some who were in and some who were out. Yeah, There was a local church, an accounting of who was and wasn't a part of that church. And, and so we... We use the term church membership, and I think you probably could have used other terms, but you need a way to identify who is in and who is out of that local church. And as the church grew, you then had um, different ways of keeping up with that number that developed over time because that was a very young church. I mean, that's the very, very early church. You, you just had people come up with maybe we could keep a list of this maybe we could do you know over time that developed well i think we also need to clarify to go back to the issue of uh church discipline especially but some of the other duties that are charged to the church this is not like social club who's in who's out it's who can be trusted with the responsibilities that the church is given because the church is given specific responsibilities in the new testament and we talked about very very specifically and urgently um, the understanding of holding one another accountable in this um, the prescribed method of church discipline that Jesus prescribes first and then again is repeated uh, in the Pauline epistles. Um, who can be entrusted with that duty? Not just anybody can be trusted no. to vote someone out of the church and treat them as an unbeliever. You can't just give that responsibility to anyone. And more specifically, you can't give that responsibility to non-believers you mm-hmm. there is a group of believers who are to hold one another accountable in this way you can't just that can't just be anybody and everybody 
Um, and so it's a very serious responsibility. So when we talk about church membership, I think it's important to talk about when we're saying who's in and who's out, it's not like, oh, I belong to the club and you don't. You know, it, it is... It's not that sort of exclusivity. No, it is exclusivity about who can be entrusted with this responsibility. And, and then the... Um, the markers for that, who's in and who's out, the qualifications are very, very particular. So in Baptist life, saved, baptized church membership, mm-hmm. that's the Baptist distinctive. So mm-hmm. if we've, uh, I hope we've sufficiently proven and demonstrated from the scriptures that mem- church membership is a biblical concept. Um, let's then talk about saved, baptized. I, and, and we could take them separately, but I think the first place you've got to go is Acts 2. Acts those, 2 yep. those who believed and were baptized were added to the number. So if mm-hmm. you just want a point blank um, text as a proof text, you don't need to look any further than that. And right before that, you know, when the, right before they're added to the number, they they ask the question of Peter, "What must we do to be saved?" He says, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you," mm-hmm. which is saying, "Repent" would be to one obviously ask for forgiveness of sin and turn from that, but also that implies that you have trusted the gospel message, you have trusted Christ. And so we do believe that that is necessary. Also, baptism, we don't believe that to be something that saves, but we do believe that to be a necessity for joining into a local body. So why, and we could go on for at least seven and a half hours, but let's talk about a few reasons. What comes to mind first when you talk about why is it important that the members of a local church today, in, in 2021 in America, why is it important that we distinguish whether or not you're a believer before you can join the church? Um, and you have to understand, people who are listening, uh, that I am fully um, just engrossed right now in <laughs> church growth movement stuff. But... Um, he loves it. I mean, he's I, all that, about it. He's he fully engrossed. He has it. bought it hook, line, and he's sinker. He's a liar. Anyway, so... <laughs> but Fear you, is a liar. Uh, what? Anyway, is that a Christian song or something? It is? Oh, well. I don't, moving on. Uh, so, Too much ice So cream. basically what, what we've got is you have churches that are deeply suffering, and you can see this in, in many mainline denominations, where... Non-believers are guiding the church. People who have not truly trusted Christ, they are leading the church in decisions on spiritual matters. They're leading the church in uh, certain types of polity. Um, and, and basically, it's just caused a huge mess. When you base your entire church on you know, asking a non-believer, what will bring you in here? What will get you here? You are just running headlong into destruction for your church. And we're starting to see that. It, it took decades for us to see it because uh, all Easy, this, big fellow. This is not the episode I got of pragmatism. You. I got you. <laughs> it took decades for us to see that. But the, the main thing is you are having unregenerate people dictating what the church is going to do. Well, and I think... I think even in churches that are not so church growth movement engrossed, churches where pragmatism yeah. by name wasn't necessarily a strategy, okay? So old, historic, let's just bring it down to Southern Baptist churches, okay? Mm-hmm. Still have this issue where because because for centuries, maybe we weren't careful 
about making sure that the people who were brought into fellowship, that is into membership in official capacity, um, weren't regenerate. They weren't believers. So the technical term for this is regenerate church membership. We'll sort of use that back and forth throughout the, the episode. Um, because they weren't believers, you you get business meetings and, and just church business in general that is incredibly divided because instead of a body united together being led by the Holy Spirit, you have a certain contingency of people who are faithful believers being led by the Holy Spirit and certain people who you've asked to pray about a decision and be led by the Holy Spirit who don't have the Holy Spirit in their hearts because they're not believers. Yep. So the only way they're going to make decisions is by the flesh. Mm-hmm. And this becomes particularly poignant in Baptist life because of our congregational polity, because we believe in the priesthood of the believer, and because we believe firmly in congregational polity. And we've talked about some of the biblical defense for that, even about church discipline and and choosing of deacons, that this is handed over to the body, the body, congregational polity, the church voting on these things. But if you've got a church body made up primarily or even just a segment in non-believers, you're not going to have Holy Spirit guided unity around any of those decisions. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with all kinds of fleshly practices because people act on the flesh. And this happens in little ways and it happens in big ways. It happens in little ways by people having those stereotypical knockout, drag out fights over the color of the carpet because it's all about preference. And the most important thing to a fleshly person is their personal fleshly preference. You have worship wars because you have people who are more focused on the flesh and their personal preferences and they're not being guided by the spirit. You have decisions about um, what we should do with a pastor that we like or don't like or why we like or don't like him, all based on the flesh. And what you end up doing is giving voting power and decision, not even, I mean, voting power sounds so political, decision-making authority in congregational polity to people who are not born again, they're not regenerate, they're not believers, and you're asking them to make decisions like believers. Yeah, well, I think you already, you already tied two doctrines together of, of Baptist distinctives, right? So there's a reason it's not priesthood of the people. It's mm-hmm. priesthood of the believer. Yeah. Um, and that flows into church membership. Uh, they really flow in and out of each other, honestly. So you have that uh, our belief is that the people that should be uh, governing your church are believers, not non-believers. And many of the issues, again, it's not just church growth, like you said. You have your small-town rural churches uh, that have never once even thought of church growth that many of their decisions are being made by non-regenerate people. Um, you see this a lot in those churches where families run the church or a, a deacon or two runs the church because they're not regenerate deacons. They're, they're non-believers who just want it their way. Um, and so it is extremely and a important. A non-believer is going to default to the flesh, and they're going to default to Yeah, they're to acting they like they're supposed them. to. Yes. Non-believers you, you, act like non-believers because they're non-believers. You can't hand authority that the Bible hands to believers to non-believers and expect them to act just as you said, like anything other than what they are, which is non-believers. Um, now, there, and, and again, there's there's so much more we could say here. Um, why add baptism in? 
Why, well, that's, why do we say, as the Baptist distinctive, it's saved, baptized church membership? Well, I believe that that's the first step of obedience as a believer. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that's exactly if it. If you're not willing to submit to that ordinance that God has, has called us to do, then how, how do we expect you to submit to anything else? Exactly. If you, can't, if you can't be trusted to obey in the first thing you're supposed to obey, how, how can you be expected to obey in anything else? Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 evidence not only that you are indeed a believer, um, but it's evidence that you're going to be a believer who's obedient to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, Acts two gives us that picture yeah. as well. Be baptized, and, every one of you. And I think it's really important to see how these build on each other because Baptist distinctives aren't in these neat little segments. As we talked no. about in the last episode, there's a lot of overlap. But I think here in this particular distinctive, you see a lot of how one builds to the next, to the next, to the next. That our belief in the priesthood of the believer um, and our belief in congregational polity, our belief that all these things are biblical, necessitate that we insist on saved, baptized church members. Because again, the congregation is the one who who has the governing authority in the church. Now, again, not the ruling authority. That would be Christ. Christ, yeah. where Christ ruled, uh, but congregationally governed. But if you're going to hand that governing power over to the congregation, you need to ensure that that congregation is being ruled by Jesus. If he's going to remain king and you're going to be entrusted with the governing power, you need we need to know that, that you're a follower of Jesus. Well, even to take it back to what you just said, so one of the things that we believe in is the authority of Scripture. Every time you see someone come into the church, it is through baptism. So you, you have that they have responded in faith, they have trusted Christ, then they are baptized or they, and calm down Presbyterians, and their household are baptized, because it never mentions a baby there, uh, but they and their household are baptized, uh, and then they are brought into the fellowship of the church. And so just using just the authority of Scripture, we can say... Yeah, again, just the, the plain, clear example. Yes, the regular thing that we see is that someone is baptized. I knew you'd find a way to get regulative principles. I didn't say regulative. I said the regular thing. I you, almost said the hinted. regulative. You yeah. hinted. It's not a normative thing. It's regulative. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so... I love regulative how, principles. How long have we been going now? Nearly 20 minutes. Okay, let's talk about... Shockingly. How do we do this? I know it's felt like five. It's because we're all do on this? ice cream high. How do I practically... What are some of the ways that a church can safeguard regenerate church membership, save, baptize membership? Well, I know where you're going with this, but let me go to the first step. Is is I would just make the suggestion, this is not a, you must do this. I would make the suggestion that churches stop accepting members at the end of the service that they've never met before. You know, people come in that one week and that we want to join brother. And then you, what do you, you parade them up front, you stand them up. They want to join. If you want them to join, say amen, you know, and then they never ask for the opposed, uh, but without checking. And so of course what we're seeing a trend of, and we've done ourselves is membership classes. And since you wrote a doctoral thing on that, I'll let you take over from here. <laughs> well, I, man, pressure's on. Um, you know, I, I remember having uh, questions even from our congregation at, at one point about how, how can we know that the people that we just voted in are even Christians? Yeah. And, and a lot of times we talk about, and I think this is important, but I haven't 
put my thoughts all the way together in my ice cream informed brain right now. So give me just a second. Um, a lot of times we think in terms of the pressure that's on the pastor in that moment to counsel very, very quickly with discernment at the altar to figure out are these people believers or at least close enough that we can sort of admit them? We we think mostly, especially as pastors, the first thing we think about is the pressure that that puts on the pastor who's standing down front. Yeah. Never realizing the pressure that that puts on the congregation, who, by the way, the pastor's not the one who admits them. In congregational polity, it's the congregation that votes on whether or not they, too, are members. And and what what we're asking the congregation to do in that moment is to bear witness that, yes, we have seen evidence that these are also members of the universal body of Christ, and we want to now welcome them into fellowship with us so that they will share with us the governing authority of Christ's local church because we believe them to be servants of Christ. Yeah, You're asking them, who, by the way, even if you as the pastor have taken as much as three to five minutes to counsel with them, which is not enough, but let's say you've taken that time and, you know, you've just kept doing your finger in a loop to the guy who's, you know, <laughs> on the piano asking him just to keep rolling so you can keep counseling. One more verse, brother. Um, you haven't given the, the congregation hasn't. They just watched you do that. They haven't had the chance. to. And you're, you're putting it all on you to be the, the they one are the them. ones. They are the ones who are going to have to cast that vote without any experience. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it was probably the 30s and 40s. You still had watch care. Um, so if someone came forward, they were not automatically a member by vote. They were placed under watch care of the church that ended for quite a while in most churches for decades, actually because of a more church growth-centered approach to things where we want to add numbers quickly, we want our roles to fill up. Um, <clears throat> and how sorry. well did that work? Uh, well, that flash pan method is, is falling apart. It, um, it, it has caused all the problems we've talked about, again, and not in just one type of church, not just in those... You know, it's easy to think, oh, churches planted between the 60s and the 90s, that's where it hit hardest. No, it... it Everybody who did this now experiences all the problems and the repercussions of welcoming yes. in people who are not even believers. Yeah, and you can't even talk about the membership role a lot because some of those people who are adamantly against going through the membership role are not regenerate themselves, uh, which would then bring up some issues in their own life that they're probably fully aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the so you have that watch care thing. Um, I think, um, and, and we can use um, First Baptist here in Talladega as as an example, because of course that's where we pastor. So you know we've we've put some things in place, and we can use ours as an, ex- as an example. But I think the the big picture is you've got to have a method. You've got to have a way to um, discern whether or not that person is a believer. Now. One step, of course, you have is if you're talking about a person who has been led to Christ by someone in your church and they're being baptized in your church, I mean, wonderful. You, you've got all of that on display before you. But what about those who transfer their letter or they've been believers for a long time and they moved in the area or whatever? How, how, how do we know that they're a, a believer? How do we know that they're regenerate? How do we know that they're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus here in the local church? Well, again, you've got to have some process and I don't just mean an interview with the pastor, although that can be helpful. 
an interview with a pastor still still necessitates that then you as the pastor are vouching for these people before the body because you don't get to make the decision as the pastor, not in Baptist polity, about whether or not that person gets to come into the membership and into the fellowship. You're you're asking the church still to make that decision. So either you're going to have to have a sufficient enough meeting where you feel like you can vouch for that person, or you've got to have another method set up. Now, I, I realize that a lot of even you know our other Southern Baptist sister churches do it that way. They either just have a meeting with a pastor, or they have some kind of a new a membership class that also requires a meeting with a pastor. Here at First Baptist, we did we did that a little differently um, because we wanted we wanted more members of the current congregation to have a chance to be involved in that process. So the first thing is simply the time delay from when a, f- a person would first start visiting and the time when they take the membership class gives the congregation a chance to know them. We do, unless you know we just have a sudden influx and we need to schedule a special one, we only do membership class on a regular basis twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring. And that gives people roughly six months to get to know a family who's desiring membership before they even take that membership class. The next thing that we do is that we... Can I say something on that yeah. point too? If a family is genuinely wanting and desiring to join your church, um, and they they truly mean that, they are willing to wait. We haven't had anybody... We've never had anybody go, I'm not, I'm not staying no. because of this class. No. They have always been willing to wait, and they actually anticipate yes. class, desiring that class. Yes. Before we had it implemented, we actually had uh, one couple who, very godly and very faithful, <coughs> ask, well, can we can we go through a membership class before we join, before we make that decision? Yeah. Um, and that was when we were in the process of putting all that together. And, so and I believe nice we are actually experiencing, uh, experiencing a, a steadier growth yes. since we put in the church membership class. Because I think to genuine believers, to your point, to yeah. genuine believers, it communicates that we take membership very, very seriously. And that is... And that's been the case with everyone that we've had. Yeah. I hate to use the word attractive, but it is attractive to genuine believers that you would take yeah. membership seriously. Um, so the the way that we have that... So you've got the, the waiting period. Simply the, the, the chronology of when the class is scheduled gets, gets the, gives the church a chance to meet these families. The other thing that we do is that the time to share testimony for those people desiring membership in the membership class is over a fellowship meal. Um, In that fellowship meal, you have a meet and greet with the staff. So already you've included other people from the church other than just the pastor Mm -hmm. uh, or just one of the pastors. You've included uh, both of us as, as both pastors and other church staff who are now also practicing discernment. But the other thing that we have, um, added in is that and and it hasn't always worked out timing wise but you know usually it does that we open that up and invite church members who've been longtime church members but but maybe they've been members before we offered the class to also come and take the membership class and for one thing that gives them a chance to take the class it's good for them yeah but it also helps in that process because now you have other people who have been members of First Baptist Church sitting there in that fellowship meal and hearing the testimonies of these new, you know, mm-hmm. these folks going to the membership class. So again, on on every one of those levels, from the waiting period to including all the church staff and and you know both pastors, 
all the way into now including other people who've been members who just haven't been through the class before because it's before it was required and offered you have included more and more and more people from the congregation yeah who are going to be making that decision on whether or not to vote them in at one church where i served um that step of giving the testimony also included why do you want to join the church and that whole thing um was not given during the meeting with the pastors it was actually given at a sunday evening fellowship meal in front of the you know all the members of the congregation that came and so the way that we set that up is if they were a family the husband stood up and and shared on behalf of the family yeah and, and i think and that's his. another really good way to do it because again you're you're including the entire congregation in hearing that testimony yeah it was that was one thing that i i really truly believe was unique in the sense of i hadn't seen a church do that before and it was it was actually pretty awesome um i think another thing having your your longtime members come that can help alleviate fears about church membership classes that people have some people see that as a negative thing which it, it just shows their misunderstanding of what's really taking place here um and when they come and they sit and they observe they realize oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's actually a wonderful thing. And then they start encouraging people to go to it. Um, so encouraging people to come to your membership class that have been members is, is a good thing. Anything else you want to add? Nope. Okay. Well, that was good. Good job. All right. Well done. Yeah. See you next time. See you at G3.